This is Extraordinary, a podcast where we have an honest chat and a good laugh about what it's like to live with a disability. You'll hear about the unique challenges we encounter, the funny situations we face, and learn what it's like to be in our shoes. I'm your host, Oliver Hunter. I'm a stand-up comedian who actually can't stand up, and I've been cracking jokes about living with a disability for years. Today, we're chatting with Laura Petanuzo. Laura is a writer, speaker, and powerful advocate in the mental health and disability space. In today's episode, you hear about how Laura's time at Women with Disabilities Victoria helped her accept her own disability, how to confront internalized ableism, and we'll dive into the great debate of cats versus dogs. Spoiler alert, they're both great. Let's get into it. Thanks, Laura, for coming on. I think we might just an easy, soft one to start. Like, what would you like people to know about you? Before I answer that, I'd just like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which I live and work. For me, that's the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders past and present and affirm that sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty has never been signed. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. I'm Laura. My pronouns are she and her. I am a proud disabled woman. I'm also a writer, reader, and absolute lover of cats and tea and colouring in. Awesome. I love cats too. I feel like people get a bit too aggressive about cats. I think everyone's about it, loves a dog. Yes. I feel like cats don't get enough moments in the sun. I grew up with having cats. They're the best. I want to put that out there right now off the top. Cats are great. They are. I'm glad we're on the same page about this. And also, I feel like people get a bit divided. You're either a cat person or a dog person, but why can't you love both? Yeah, exactly. I think we just get too caught up in that. I love both. I love cats and dogs. I've got a greyhound. He's the best. I've got a cat as well. They sort of get on. They kind of like each other. (laughs) I think we just need to stop being so divided, like you said, about cats and dogs. It's like pineapple and pizza. Whatever you want, it's fine. It's going to be great. Uh, just have pineapple, don't have pineapple. But why are we going to get aggressive about it? There's enough problems in the world. Let's just enjoy our cats and dogs and pineapple and pizza or not. It's fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be okay, everyone. And how many cats do you have? Well, my family has one cat and I love him dearly, but I kind of live vicariously through all of my friends and their pets. I just call myself an aunt of all of my friends' pets. That's great. That's the best way to be because you don't have to deal with any of their problems. Exactly. If they poop, if they pee, I just give them back. Yeah, I like to do that with children as well. So, (laughs) yeah, it's good. What's the cat's name in your family cat? His name's Ali, after Muhammad Ali. Love it, yes. Does he, like, square up on you and give you a couple little... Does he get aggressive? Is that sort of where the Ali... (laughs) No, the irony is, no, my brother loves Muhammad Ali, so he chose the name, but the actual cat could not be any more opposite. Like, he's the actual antithesis of a boxer in the sense that he is just the most anxious little scaredy cat in the whole world. Like, if he sees a new person, he will just hide under the bed and he won't come out until they're gone. Yes, no, nah, well, I like that. I grew up with cats. We had a cat called Oscar. Mm-hmm. He was a cool cat. He was quite a little bit anxious well i never liked mom didn't like us uh yeah good cat a great cat (laughs) but just could get a bit angry and a bit scratchy but when he got older and he sort of mellowed he just took pats from anyone but for the first 12 years of his life 14 years of his life he was a 
exclusive mum pat receiver. Did not like anyone else. We got a cat at the moment. Her name is Ginger. No prizes for why she's called Ginger. <laughs> uh, so she's great. And then Gus is the greyhound. He's the best. Oh, Yeah, he's a dope. They either run very fast for a shorter amount of time and then they sleep the rest of the time. Fair enough. And do they have favourites as well? As in between the two? Oh, as in like favourite members of the family. Ginger, I think classic cat, just doesn't like anyone. I feel like that's why I do like that about cats, that some cats can just have a real like sharpness to their personality and like mm-hmm. feed me and then you have to care for me and feed me in every way and I rely on you for a lot of my uh, welfare. But I also <laughs> don't like you at a fundamental level. So I like that about her. Mm-hmm. They're both great. I mean, Gus probably likes dad the best because that's, I think he's figured out that is his quickest way to, to food. So that's great for him. But I also was a bit sneaky and I'd always give him like one of the little treats that he always gets. That's how I coax some love out of Gus. <laughs> but, you know, we do what we can in the tough times. Exactly. They don't make it easy for us. Yeah. I mean, during peak lockdown when I was still living with my parents, we would get into pretty much daily battles over the couch because I had like my own little room, like lounge room. There's a second. So he once he figured out that he could jump on the couch, then it became, it was a bit of our own sort of civil war who got the cat. And, you know, he's a big dog. They're greyhounds are big dogs. So I would often lose the battle. <laughs> That's great. You have to concede the couch. Yeah. So I guess my next question is like, what does independence mean to you? Independence and how I've understood it has shifted as I've grown as a person and gotten older. I think initially it was very much like, the idea of being fiscally and physically independent and like living independently. So I guess it means being able to live either on my own or in a space of my choosing and I guess make decisions about my life. And at the same time, I acknowledge that independence is important, but interdependence is important too. I think we live in an individualist society where there is a big emphasis on being independent, but we don't exist as humans in isolation. Like we exist as part of a broader constellation. So for me, being independent involves a balance of being self-sufficient, but also being able to acknowledge that sometimes I will need help and that's okay. Yeah. I think especially um, having a disability, like we both have disabilities it can take a while especially when you're younger to it took me a while to appreciate and understand that my independence will thrive if i embrace their help and support from others and most importantly formal support so support workers or other avenues of support and then once you have those in place you only hopefully get better and now i have yes your disability if you don't mind me asking what is your disability if you don't want it included in that's completely fine no that's totally fine so my disability is cerebral palsy and jumping back to that idea of independence i think you made a really good point about the fact that as people with disabilities our independence and our very selves can grow when ironically we do learn to accept those kind of supports and maybe relinquish some independence for me what that meant was I recently became a wheelchair user and that was something that I fought against quite a lot when I was younger. I guess I had a lot of internalized ableism around, I don't want to rely on this. I don't want to be different. I don't want people to look at me or I don't want to be weak. 
But I think a big part of getting older for me and coming to understand disability pride and being part of a broader disability community is being able to understand that using a wheelchair or any kind of mobility aid isn't a failure. It's a sense of liberation. It's an act of self-love and grace. And my life is infinitely better because I've allowed myself to rely on, in this case, a wheelchair. Yeah, I was going to say, I've got CP as well, so we're matching. Twins. Yeah, and I've, <laughs> yeah, I've used a chair as well. But I, I think that's an interesting point. I want you to touch that internalised ableism that you had when you were growing up. And if you, mm. you know, so how long have you used the chair? Like, you've embraced the chair? Probably since, like, December last year, so it hasn't been very long, yeah. maybe, like, six months. I used a chair for a while when I was younger, but it was the idea of like, I'm going to use this for a while while I'm in high school and I'm really fatigued and I'm struggling. There'll come a time when I won't have to use it. It was that ableist idea of I can overcome this and I'm just doing air quotations because obviously I don't believe that anymore. But I guess that was kind of the progression for me. Like I went from having to use a manual chair as an adolescent and just kind of rebelling against it to actually embracing the use of it's a power chair now so so much easier yeah okay cool so you used it as an adolescent and then in your early adulthood or young adulthood where you went i don't know incidents the word or a moment where you went it's time to embrace the chair yes to be honest i can literally see in my mind's eye the conversation that i had with one of my friends that kind of enabled me to reframe the whole idea. I started working for a disability advocacy organization. And when I applied for the job, you know how sometimes when you apply for jobs and they have the question and they say, do you have a disability? And you can say yes or no. I always used to say no, because I guess I had, again, all of this internalized ableism and this idea that I wasn't disabled enough to tick yes. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of like, No, like the job that I was applying for was a disability advocacy organization. So I thought if any place is not going to discriminate against me because I've ticked yes, or if any place is not going to view that as a disadvantage or a hindrance, it's going to be this place. So I ticked yes. And I guess that was the start in terms of my own understanding and embracing of it. But when I kind of realized that I could use a chair and not only that, it would make such a difference to me. I was speaking to one of my co-workers at that organization and she also uses an electric wheelchair and she had a spare one. And she said to me, Laura, do you want to try one? Like try using my spare electric wheelchair for the day, just see how it feels. And I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. And it was amazing. It was an absolute revelation that I could be out all day doing things, what I would usually do in an ambulant way, walking, but I could get home from doing those things and not be in pain and not need a nap immediately. So I guess what that meant for me and what it showed me was that a way for me to embrace my life and just have it be so much easier because I would be able to reduce my fatigue. Like, I don't know about you, but for me, cerebral palsy fatigue is real. And so I kind of have to like pace myself. But I found that if I used the wheelchair, I could travel so much further. Like I felt better mentally as well, because there's a strong correlation between physical and mental wellness and health. So it just kind of had an overall benefit. I'm forever grateful to that friend of mine, Stacey. She's the best. She changed my life. For me, fatigue with CP is a massive one. Uh, Also, like I can also relate to the point of doing things in pain. 
Mm. Because that's the way we did it or that's the way we think it has to be done. Yeah. I remember, well, when I've, so I've just moved to Melbourne in the last sort of six, seven months. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't, was sort of struggling to get a find a regular physio again. Yes. As awesome it is to move and have that new phase of life and stuff like that and have a new environment. I love Melbourne, love the city. I've always loved Melbourne and wanted to move here forever. But then you move and you're like, oh, crap. Like I realized back at my, when I was living with my parents, a little nice little town of Albury. I had all the super support network, had a physio I'd seen forever, mm-hmm. all these good – and then that all changed, that all has to be uprooted. And I figured it out now, and I remember I went to – finally found a good physio. Oh, good. Finally got in their books and have been seeing him regularly now for a few couple of months. And I remember the first time, I, first appointment I went to, I had a massage and did some stuff, and I was like, oh, that's right. That's what that's meant to feel like. Because my spasms with CP and stuff like that, it can be quite full on if, if I like don't get stuff treated regularly. So I think with CP too and my type of CP, because I think that's worth pointing out too, but we both have cerebral palsy or I know some other people with CP, but I think it's the biggest, I mean, I'm basing this on no science back, <laughs> but I'm just going to say <laughs> it's the disability with the biggest umbrella of how your body is affected. Yeah, I agree. Like we can have both have CP and it can be completely different. But for me, sometimes with CP, we get used to a baseline of physical pain. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, that's just how that is. And then I got stuff like I got this little pump put in my stomach to help my back because I got really tight lower back because of the muscle spasms. So I got that. And then this rehab specialist said to me, oh, you can get this thing put in and that could help. And so I did it and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, I just think, yeah, CP is a fascinating thing. And I think, yeah, to sum up that point, I agree. You mentioned how it sort of changed your life with the power chair and, and sort of embracing. But did you feel like relief? What did that feel within yourself and your relationship with your disability and the disability community then? That is a brilliant question. I've been trying to find the right words to encapsulate the joy of it for such a long time. And I guess it felt like coming home when I found the disability. I call it my heart place because I can't think of an actual word that encompasses it better, but just like a place that I am held and seen and I'm able to say I can't do stairs or I need a break or whatever else my access needs at a certain time might be. And it's not an inconvenience within the disability community. It's not something that I have to feel worried about or guilty about. It's just part of life. So I guess to really pinpoint how it felt, I felt seen, I felt whole, and yeah, I felt like I'd come home. I feel like I've made a lot of progress in that aspect of my life too. Not quite as well articulated as that. So that's a brilliant uh, answer and I appreciate that. So you had this friend that you, Stacey, who we shout out Stacey again. She's the best. Good on you, Stacey. Might get her on as a guest of this podcast. Let us know. Uh, uh, By embracing and the progress you've made within yourself, do you think then you're able to feel closer to these friends with disability and you embrace them a bit more and it might have all been subconscious I don't know Hmm. well coming back to that idea of the internalized ableism like it's an ongoing thing I still have bits of internalized ableism like I'll still catch myself going oh 
I shouldn't need to go to sleep at eight o'clock or like I shouldn't need to take a bunch of Nurofen. I should just keep going. And I'm like, hang on, Laura. No, you're allowed to rest and listen to your body and do what your body needs. So I guess in that sense, the idea of reckoning with internalized ableism isn't a click your fingers and it's gone. It's an ongoing, this is a choice, moment to moment, day to day progression. But in terms of how it influenced my relationships with my other friends with disability, yeah, I suppose it probably did change the way that I related to them and the way that I related to everyone else in my life. Because even just in the sense that when I wasn't doing what I needed for me, when I wasn't monitoring like my fatigue levels or listening to my body, like I tended to get snappy or I wouldn't be able to like hang out as long or I wouldn't be able to fully engage in a conversation if half of my brain was like, my hips really hurt right now. So I think it meant that I was able to partake in all of my friendships more fully, but also in terms of my other friends who are wheelchair users, we're able to like joke about things now that we couldn't have if I wasn't a wheelchair user. I'll say to Stacey or my other friends, like once I get used to this chair, we're going to race and we're going to see who's going to win. Spoiler, it's not going to be me. But still. <laughs> no, it's fascinating because I think for me, I, I guess relationship with CP and like I've been in a chair, I got probably my first chair and I was three or something. I think for me, it was also looking back, there was also this subconscious or, you know, some unconscious attitude of, ah, oh, got to do this there, this will make me better. This will fix that. And CP's not getting better. It's not going anywhere. And I'm not, I think we both agree. We don't mean that in a somber, like pity way. It's just not like, no matter how many times we're going to have to get a doctor to fill out a form for settling. Yeah. CP doesn't go away, settling. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So I had it when I was six. I had it when I was 16. I'm going to have it when I'm – I had it. Still got it. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, look, it's gone. Yes, I'm free. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for part one of our chat. Join us for the next episode as we conclude our conversation. You've been listening to Extraordinary a podcast where we have an honest chat and a good laugh about what it's like to live with a disability. This podcast is brought to you by Independence Australia. Independence Australia is a social enterprise providing choices and services to people living with a disability. To find out more about what we do, visit independenceaustralia.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Extraordinary, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Oliver Hunter, and we'll be back next episode with another extraordinary conversation. Extraordinary.